Take a bow, George. Now, I want you to understand something. Um, I've seen George play drums. I've seen him play guitar. And I don't, have you had lessons on any of these? No lessons. He just, just look, he's had some piano, okay. Let me tell you something. Think, think about it. Think about it. When you're a child, you can do anything. When you're a child, you can do anything. There's nothing you can't do. As a matter of fact, I can say to my little three-year-old son, I have to tell him what he can't do to keep him from hurting himself because there's nothing he can't do. Really. That's what God is after. God is after people who are children. He's after you, but he's after you as a child. Without what, it's impossible to please God. Without what, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you can't please God. And I I, I really believe that the, the most proudest parents you'll ever be is when you see a child do something that they believe they could do that maybe you didn't think they could do. It happens all the time. So thank you, George, for your diligence and your persistence. And I believe in honoring now so that you'll know that you're loved, you're appreciated, that the world can't give you anything that we can't give you. And the world can't offer you anything better than what we can offer you because we offer you Jesus and faith in Jesus. Amen? So I'm going to quote something. I'm going to give a scripture. I'm not going to be here very long because I know you um, you want to get out of here. I'm sure there's a game or something somewhere. Huh? They want to go change the world. That's it right there. They don't, they don't want to go see the game. <laughs> well, this is from the great philosopher, and I'll give you his name in a moment. But one of our great, great minds, truly great minds, said most people that achieve greatness do so in spite of their own selves or actions. And he goes on to say that in most cases, it was an accident born out of desperation. I'm going to say that again. Most people that achieve greatness do so in spite of their own selves or actions. And then he goes on to say that in most cases, it was an accident born out of desperation. You know who that great philosopher was? Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. That's what he said. Now, the reality is, before you knew that it was Tupac Shakur who said it, you agreed with it. Because the reality is, no matter who it came from, it's true. Some of the best meals I've ever had in my life, in my life, were as a little boy, and we were so poor. All my mama could do 
was make biscuit bread, some gravy, and beans. And to this very day, I can go into the greatest restaurants in the world, but I'll have beads in my heart. Because she made that meal wonderful. And what she put into that meal was so much more than the beans and the bread and the gravy. It was so much deeper than that. I contend that you have greatness in you right now that you have not unlocked. There's a scripture I want to read. And actually, I'm going to go back so you can read along with me, actually. Uh, 2 Kings, and we'll start at the 6th chapter. And uh, I promise you, I'm not going to be here long, but I really want you to get this. But if you go to 2 Kings, um, and we'll just go, so I don't want, I don't want to go too far. Um, you know, but we'll go 6, and we'll start at verse 26. 2 Kings 6. 26. And as he, I'm going to read this. Uh, and I didn't ask him to put it up on the screen, but I'll read it for you. And it says, As the king of Israel uh, was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. 27. He said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, Why aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. And this is gruesome, but it's here. 29 says, So we boiled my son and did eat him, and said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. Obviously, the vision of this is that there's such a great hunger that this woman would give up a child for food to survive. We, we tend to think of it as a lack of love, and you know. But you've got to remember what's coming across here. There's famine in the land. People are starving, period. It's utter despair and desperation. And you read this and you begin to wonder why God would allow, would allow such a calamity to happen. But the other thing you know is that God's people had been departing from him at that point. So they really weren't where they were supposed to be. The other thing we realize in this is that idolatry was still found in the people's midst. Sin was in the camp. If you read in there, you'll see all of that. And the Bible does warn what would happen if we forsake God. And if you look in Deuteronomy 28, I, don't, I won't actually go there, but I'll read it. It says, Thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee, in the siege and in the straightness wherein thine enemies shall distress thee. So there's a, there's a famine, people are starving, and it's just utterly ridiculous what's taking place here. And so you go on to, you see that story, you see what's happening there. And then you go on to chapter 7. 
Go there with me. Chapter 7, verse 3. Chapter 7, verse 3, and it says, And there were four leprous men at the, at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter to the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians if they save us alive. Now, you know the story here. You know what happened. They end up going into this camp. And God performs a miracle upon their entrance, and it causes the camp to be vacated. And there they enter into all these spoils and all this stuff. Well, let's look at the real situation here. These are lepers. They weren't welcome in the city that they came from, and you know they ain't welcome where they're going. So they're sitting in between two opinions. No matter what we do, we're going to die. We're going to starve, or we're going to be killed. Either way, we're not welcome. About three months ago, actually about two months ago, a little less, a little more than two months ago, I'm not a great baseball fan, I'll be honest with you, but I found myself engulfed in the, the World Series. And the reason was this. I was on faith. I had been watching uh, the Rangers play. And they had this guy, Cliff Lee, who in the past three championships, he was unstoppable. I mean, he was shutting them down like you wouldn't believe. People were afraid of him. The Yankees were trying to buy him. The team that he came from, Philadelphia, they had cut him because they were concerned that he was going to demand way more money than they could afford. So they cut him. So he ended up in a coup, and all we can think of is just an act of God. He ended up on the Rangers. The reason I say that was a coup is because nobody saw that coming. They didn't, they didn't you know, the Rangers were playing, going along, and they're actually leading the league. They're actually atop of the league before this situation happened. So nobody even thought, well, they don't, you know, they got all these other guys they don't need. They're pitching this short up. And the next thing you know, bam, Cliff Lee. So I've been watching these games. I've been watching. And a guy, when, by the time it got to the World Series, I mean, they beat New York like, um, you may as well, like, like drums. Somebody said like drums. I could think of oh, so many other things they beat New York like, but it was, it was amazing to me because New York, the big juggernaut, the giant, and the Rangers, the underdogs, you know, little small guys. Well, not small guys, but you know what I mean. Somebody said something on Facebook. I was on Facebook, and uh, um, you know how they'll, they'll uh, print a comment, and then they tag your name in the comment. And when I first read it, I said, well, you know, that's possible. They said, the Rangers destined to win the World Series championship. It's God's will that they win the championship. And they put it in my thing like I agree with that. (laughs) 
And listen, I'm not against the Rangers. I'm not, as a matter of fact, I'm not a baseball fan, so I'm not really for or against anybody. I was just in, you know, intrigued with the, what was going on. But it, it, did, it did take me to a question. <laughs> I remember, now this has happened to me, and I know, I'm sure it's happened to some of you. When I was young, I used to fight, I used to box. Matter of fact, one of my uncles, it's not my physical uncle, but Uncle Jimmy, I grew up with him. I, you know, I, I dated him. And um, I was a little boy. We grew up singing together. And uh, anyway, Uncle Jimmy, his name, his real name is Jimmy Ellis, was the heavyweight champion of the world. Before that, he was the light heavyweight champion, and he would have remained the heavyweight champion, but another Louisville boy beat him, which is Muhammad Ali. He was Cassius Clay then. But I remember fighting, you know. I remember boxing, you know, you know, jab, jab kind of thing. I was skinny then. And I remember a pastor told me, God is on your side. You're going to win because God is on your side. And I'm going to tell you, man, I got in that ring, and I said, God is on my side. I went out there, and I'm doing my thing, and I'm dancing, and, you know, and I hit the guy, and I tagged him. That guy beat me senseless. You just, I mean, just, where, God, where are you? Y'all told me he was going to dance. He ain't dancing on my face. But I remember hearing that, you know. And then, so, when they're talking to Rangers, God is on our side. Now, wait a minute now. What happens if the other guy believes? How does that work? You know, uh, does God go, you believe a little bit more than you? The Bible says every man is given the measure of faith. It doesn't say a measure. It says the measure, the measure of faith. So you work that according to your faith. You work the faith that God has given you. It either increases and you become a little child and you can do anything or it stays where it is, like the talent, and you bury it, or you do nothing with it and it decreases. But the bottom line is who's going to win is who believes they're going to win. That's a fact. So I'm watching this Rangers game, and I know I'm going around the field to Grandmama's house and all that, but the reality is you're going to get this. I'm watching this series unfold, and I said to this person on this Facebook thing, I said, you know, um, I don't know that I agree with that. I'm, I, I love the Lord, and I believe that all things are possible through Christ. I type that in. I believe and know that all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. But I also know there are other believers who are better equipped. So I'm watching this series happen. And the Rangers are supposed to win. First of all, then their logic was um, one of the guys is a, is a believer. Um, what's, the, what's the Josh Hamilton? That was their logic. He's a believer. You know, Josh Hamilton comes out, and they play this Christian song, as a matter of fact. That's his thing, his mantra. You know, he comes out, and the music plays, I'm saved, and, you know, that's the whole deal, you know. Well, I got a problem with that. 
My salvation, my faith is not connected to some song. Listen, I'm a worship leader. I love to worship. I love to praise God. But who I am is a worshiper has nothing to do with music. Really. That's just the honest truth. So I'm watching this, and I type that in, and they shot back with me. Aren't you being hypocritical? I think I told you about that, Pastor. I, I, I said, you know, I'm wa- I watched these guys in that very first game. I'll never forget it. That very first game. Cliff Lee. No, 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 no. Did they, the uh, Giants had their ace. So they both pitched against each other. Well, guess what? The Rangers lost that day. So that shook the whole foundation. Then they lost the second game. Oh, boy. Oh, ye of little faith. Because that's how they were coming at me. You didn't have faith that they would win. Me. I didn't have faith is why they're losing. It makes sense to Ryan. But you see where this is going. I mean, honestly, you see where this is going. This is, that ain't healthy. But then the other thing happened is they lost in, what was it, four games? Five? That they, oh, they won one. Ooh, yeah. So there was hope. They were, what were they, around two? Two to one is what they were down, and then they lost the last two. Because Now remember, the Savior is going to pluck them up. Remember that, that fourth game? Cliff Lee's, they said, well, he ain't scheduled to pitch, but he'll step up to the, the, the job. And he'll say, Cliff Lee didn't pitch. In the fifth game, it was too late. Again, I want to make sure you understand something. I'm not against the Yankees. I mean the Rangers. I ain't for the Yankees. I ain't for none of them. I, I just was intrigued with the whole thing, and I studied it. But I remember one thing that happened, and it spoke to my soul. The Dallas News had it in the in the uh, Star Telegram and in the Dallas News. The Rangers um, will sweep. And then they called the coach or the manager, or whatever, of the opposing team, a fool. They said he was a fool. I I, I still got the article, and I re- I remember telling uh, somebody else. I said, you know, I'm watching this happen. And they call this guy fool. And you know what the coach's position was? He said, we're going to swing at everything. They said, aren't you afraid of Cliff Lee? They said, well, his record is so-and-so-and-so. And he gave all these numbers. He said, somebody's got to hit him sooner or later. That was his philosophy. We're going to swing at everything. And that's what he told his guys. I don't care what he throws, swing. Somebody's going to get this. I don't care what he puts across that plate. I don't care how fast it comes, how much curve or how much spin it has on it, how much delay and loop-de-loo and merry-go-round it does, swing. And they destroyed him. Destroyed him. Reminds me of another 
giant. And the little bitty guy got bold about it and said, Today, you are going down. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord. He told him. Flop. It's over. Everybody else is getting destroyed by this guy. Everybody's getting destroyed. And this little pity guy with a child's heart says, well, I'm going to swing at everything. Put me out there. Put me in, coach. So then what happens? You look at your life. and You look at where you are. You know, and, and there's, there's a lot of us. We've had challenges. And we're faced with things right now. You know, we deal with dilemma and all this other stuff. God wants us to be children and swing. See, I'm going to go back to Bubby. Bubby doesn't know he can't hit the ball. He doesn't know that, seriously. He's so young that he hasn't tasted failure. So all he knows is faith. So when I put that wiffle ball across his back, he might miss 20 times. But, buddy, he's going to celebrate when he taps it, that 21st one. And that's what he's going to remember. Test it. Test the little child. Pitch to him and see what happens. I don't care how many times they swing and miss. They didn't lock that in. They didn't lock that failure in. They didn't lock that loss in. But, buddy, daddy, 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 remember when I hit the ball? Now, this is a really, really simple message. Really, it is. But it's really a lot deeper than we allow it to be. These lepers are in a situation. You know, they've got leprosy. First of all, (laughs) they're going to die anyway. So why die hungry? We can't go into the city because we're not welcome there. We're in a losing situation. You understand the odds are not in our favor. It's not that just, you know, there's a difference between the odds being against you and the odds not being in your favor. You understand the difference in that? See, when the odds are against you, there's still some that are for you. There's a percentage. But not in your favor is it has an exclamation point after it. It means you're not supposed to win. Their position was if we stay here, we die. We go in, we die. So let's take a chance. God has gifted you with so many great things. But the other thing that he's allowed is he's allowed, and I'll, I'll, you know, you can argue with me later on about this, but I know it to be true. He's allowed some calamity in your life. He's allowed some misfortune in your life. He's allowed some things that were very bad to happen. He allowed it to happen so that you will walk into the opportunity and the call and the gifting that he has placed in you.
What are you sitting on? What, what, what gift are you sitting on? What treasure have you not unlocked? What talent? To steal from the pastor. What talent have you buried? Or hidden? Some of us haven't buried it. We just hid it. You know? By hid, I mean it's sitting on that shelf behind the TV. By hidden, I mean it's in our car, but it's in the glove box. By hidden, I mean, well, I, I, I got it, you know, it's in my pocket. Ain't going to do you no good there. Yeah, you got it on you. Not until we realize the world is desperate for what you already have. They're desperate for it. The world is four lepers. And you've got food. They're starving. And you've got food. You've got the word of God. And you've got your giftings. What are you sitting on? I was, I'm going to close with this. I've been touring with uh, a group that was really, really famous. They're still really, really famous, actually. And uh, I was, I've been touring with them. And we were, <coughs> we were off for about two weeks. We had been touring for about three months, and we were off for two weeks. And when we were off, it wasn't off because we rehearsed. We rehearsed for 12 hours a day, six days a week. And then we do what they, what they would call show planning, and they would do that for three hours. So your day was a 15-hour day. That's when you were off. So I'd rather be touring than be off. But this particular day, they had just contracted um, this Earth, Wind, and Fire, and they had just contracted with a new sound company. And the sound company, that the old sound company had to come in and tear down all the rehearsal and all that stuff. And the new company had to come in and set up so that they could learn the show, plan the lighting, the pyrotechnics, all of that stuff that went into our concert. So I'm sitting in this room, and they've torn down. So the lead singer's got it. Maurice White said, everybody, um, we're going you know, to take a break. About four hours. It's going to take them four hours to set this stuff back up. Because they weren't going to set the whole thing up. They were just setting the monitors and the stuff we needed to rehearse on. So it's going to be four, four hours. So everybody left. And I decided I was going to stay back and, you know, just stay back. And just because I didn't have anything to do. And I wanted to, I had some ideas I wanted to try to, and I knew nobody was going to be there. So I'm sitting in there and about an hour and a half, I sat in there behind this keyboard and sang. Now, mind you, I've been touring with these guys for three months. I had never opened my mouth to sing. I've been playing. Play a little bit, play a little bit. Never sing. And I've watched them city after city after city. Bring in these choirs. They bring in these groups. And they also would hire, like every three or four weeks, they would hire other singers to support Philip Bailey and a couple of the other guys. Now, pre-surgery, pre-surgery, you know, five years ago, I had an extremely high voice, and I could sing 
lot of really what they call fifth. It was really high male harmonies. And pre-surgery, you know, both lungs and everything, a lot changed. But back then, I could hit everything that Philip Bailey was singing, and I could sing everything that the female counterpart sung. Didn't matter how high, that's what we grew up singing. So I'm in this thing, and I'm singing all of these songs, jamming to myself, and, you know, I'm going from keyboard to keyboard, and I'm see what this one sounds like, and trying this, and I mean, I'm having a good old time, about an hour and a half. Never will forget, Maurice White comes in to the where I am, and he is steaming mad. He is so mad. I, I, you know, the very first thing he said, you know, man, I, really, I should fire you right now. He said, I should fire you, and as, I should make sure. He said, if I was the kind of guy, he said, I could make sure you never work with me. And I thought, okay, I've been messing with these guys' instruments, da da da, or whatever. And then I looked at him, and he was so mad, he was tearing up. And he's so angry, he's tearing up. He had heard me say three months prior, I can't sing. He'd heard me say that in a, in a meeting. But I was insecure. I, I, was, I was, you know, I'm looking at these guys. You're Maurice White, you know, and you got... You're Philip Bailey, and I'm looking at these guys, and I measure myself by what I think they think of me. Not what they think of me, but what I think they think of me. Somebody's going to get this. So he said, man, three months you've been touring with us. You've watched me hire singers. You've watched me bring in choirs. You've seen where we've brought in people to support, support Philip. So when we have to do, when they would have to do, you know, back then, when you toured, you did five days on, two days off, six days on, three days off, maybe maybe 12 days on, three days off. And they would have to have people that, when there were certain parts, you would, we would do what's called ghosting. Philip Bailey would be singing, but he wouldn't be singing all the parts so that he could have energy night after night after night after night. So I'm ghosting him. He's singing, well, not me at the time, but, you know, the people that are hired. And he was so mad at me, saying I couldn't sing. Because he's, and here's what he said. I can't have anybody with me who doesn't at least believe in themselves. And I can't spend my time with anybody who won't at least try. Here you are, you've got this great voice. And you can sing all this stuff, and you're skating on me. He was mad at me. And I promised. I said, you know what? I don't sound like I don't sound like you. I don't sound like. Da, 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 da. He said, let me tell you something. When I was playing drums for Ramsey Lewis, I wanted to sing, and they wouldn't let me. I knew that I could sing. He said, you listen to me, you know that nobody sounds like I do. I had to purpose in my heart that I know I sound good, and God knows I sound good, and that's all that matters. So I'm going to give you another chance. From this point on, I don't want to hear what you can't do. As a matter of fact, if I, ever, I don't care what it is. If I say you can do it, you can do it. And that's 
That was one of the greatest examples I've ever had in my life. Was for one of my mentors to get mad at me and crack the whip. And tell me to get up off my rusty behind. And get after the things that God accommodated. Now he didn't say it that way. He didn't say, get after the calling of God in your life. The anointing of God is on you to preach. He didn't say that. But the Holy Ghost did. Through him. In less than two weeks, you're going to get another chance to start fresh. 2011. Supposed to come in. And you know how we do. We make those declarations. This year I'm going to lose weight. This year I'm going to paint my house. This year I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stop not exercising. This year I'm going to stop smoking. This year I'm going to build that ministry that God called me to build. How many have how many have said that? This year I'm going to preach. Let me tell you something. You don't need I I thank God that I would get the opportunity to stand here. But I want you to understand something. I don't wait to come here to preach. Never have, never will. I love this church. I love my pastor. Pastors. I love the elders here and everybody here. But I want you to understand something. I've seen more people saved and led to Christ in a nightclub than I've ever seen in a church. So for me, it ain't got nothing to do with this building. Ministry has nothing to do with these four walls. Matter of fact, I'll I'll go one step further. When I leave that door, I'm going to do more ministry than I've done here today. I promise you that's going to happen. And so we have to be willing to step into what God has already called us to be and do. And that's what I was talking about earlier when I was I said, there's freedom. I'm, I'm, I don't have that oppression anymore. I don't have it anymore. I'm not bound by that. I might have had some strings when I came in here, but I got some wigs now, baby. I'm, I'm straight. So listen, I thank you. I do want to say this. If you... If you're serious about getting after what God has called you to get after, and you don't have to, you don't have to come up here or anything like that. But if you're serious about really getting after what God has called you to get after, really doing the thing that He's called you to do, really walking into the blessing. That is the gifting. If you're really serious about it, why don't you stand on your feet and let me pray. Since I've been here, I've seen per capita, I've seen more talent 
in this church than I think I've ever seen anywhere in my life. And that's not a, that's not a, that is in no way false or in no way an exaggeration. It's just a fact. I've seen more talent in this church than I've seen anywhere in my life. And it's caused me to pray harder than I've prayed in a long time. My desire is to see you walk into your destiny. My desire is to see you do the thing that God has called you to do, not just not just for your sake, but for those four lepers. Again, the world is those four lepers. I can't tell you how many nights we've been in rehearsal with the praise team and somebody will sing and then I'll get mad like Maurice got mad at me because I realized you've been holding back. You've been sitting on something precious to God. And I, I speak to it. My team will tell you I speak to it every time I get a chance. I want you to know that, that I love you I may not get a chance to always speak to everybody here, but I'm praying for you. I really am praying for you. So I just want to, I just want to leave this blessing on you. Lord, I just thank you for Generations Church and all that have entered into this place and into this time and into this season. God, I just ask that you would forgive us for burying our talents for not walking in the calling that you've given us, for not operating in the anointing that you've caused us to operate in. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us and wake us up to the reality that is you. Wake us up to who we are called to be, God. And no matter what the enemy says, no matter what our friends say who are operating for the enemy when they speak unfaith, untruth, no matter what they say, God, help us to get after the call that you have for our lives. Lord, I thank you that there are people here that are called to minister to the world, to change the world. Well, they're walking into it right now, Lord. I thank you for the day to come when you look back and, and you can show us the picture of what our lives was, God. And we get to cast crowns at your feet because of what happened when people walked into their anointing and into their calling. Lord, we want to release them in faith to do that thing, to walk into 2011 without any fear, to walk into 2011 like a child who says, throw the ball, put me in the game, Daddy. And I thank you that you have always accomplished the thing that you set out to accomplish. Your word always hits its mark. And so we, in this day, in this day of this year, God, we thank you that this is the day we make the change, that this is the day that we cross over, that this is the day we walk into ultimate and utter freedom in you, and that we start to experience the real blessings of you, God. It is in the name of Jesus that I ask that you saturate and permeate our hearts and you help us to work that measure of faith that you've given us. 
that it increases so that it is something that truly, truly pleases you. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I thank you. Thank you so much. Are you encouraged? We have available at the information table an inventory or a survey called Gift Quest. If you don't mind, take it and do it and turn it in in one of our offering boxes, and we will mail you a computer-generated report on uh, the spiritual motivations that God has in you. This is for your discovery as well as for your confirmation, and we want to use it as a tool to encourage you, but also to help you serve in the capacity in which God has gifted you. Amen? Christmas is the time of receiving gifts, but we also want it to be a time of discovering gifts that we've already got. Amen? Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and you and you and you and you and give you His peace. And may you have a Merry Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen. Go get them, Tigers. Amen.